Welcome to the Broadcast Sport Podcast. I'm senior reporter Max Miller, and in this episode, I speak to co-directors Emma Everett and Nick Mattingly of Made of Steel, Wheelchair Rugby's fiercest rivalry, which you can watch on BBC iPlayer as part of the Storybook series. They talk about what it took to get competing teams on board, how they ensured both sides got an equal airing, how other productions can learn from this, and much more. Emma, you were involved from the start while Nick came in later on. So how did Made of Steel first come about? Yeah, good question, Max. It's a long time ago now, uh, thinking back. It was, I sort of tried to rack my brain a bit before uh, speaking to you, but it's about 2020, I think, was when conversations first started. And it was off the back of um, the Channel 4 documentary that Noah Media Group did on Adam Hills called Take His Legs. So we were trying to find out a little bit more about the World Cup and, um, you know, what was going on there. So we were speaking to the RFL and the World Cup organisers. And then when they sort of told us a bit more about Wheelchair Rugby League, we thought that sounds like there's a story there and it kind of sprang out of nowhere, to, so to speak. So the initial call we had, um, you know, following, I guess, uh, research with the World Cup and the RFL was with Martin Coy, the general manager of the England team, who actually is featured in the film. And he is a yes man. And he obviously loved the idea of being, you know, featuring the England team in in uh, a documentary and sort of gave us I guess the golden key to access all areas at that point but obviously that was early doors you know research at that stage um, we didn't even have a commission at that point so we went back and basically did a lot of research and sort of character profiles with every single member of the England team Um, which was sort of our conversations, learning about who they were, what their story was. I guess because we felt like the strength of the documentary would be in their stories and, you know, find out a bit more. And with them being unknowns, you know, you can't just Google what everyone's backstory is. So it was extensive research and got to know the guys. And we're talking COVID time here. So it was started out as virtual, uh, like Zoom meetings. And then um, obviously, when we we learn a bit more, we then did some. We identified two characters that actually did feature in the film in the end, which was Wayne and James. Uh, we did some initial filming with them as like concept scenes when the BBC were interested to see how they would come across on camera and you know what their personalities were like. Um, and then once we put the thoughts of the film together in a, a pitch deck, the BBC uh, gave it the green light. So we sort of took it from there, but. Yeah, it started out with England. And from there, it evolved to also include the French team. How did that happen? It sounds like it wasn't always the plan. It wasn't It wasn't always the plan, no. So initially, we wanted to just focus on England. And um, we knew that a couple of French players, and we thought maybe, you know, we might feature them at the World Cup, and, you know, as a bit of a rivalry. And we didn't know a lot about their backstories at that point either. So the initial concept was following England, who hadn't won the World Cup at that level before and um you know France had always sort of beaten them in the past so it was access all areas with England and then once we'd done you know a bit of filming with England I think Canal Plus um the French broadcaster got on board and was sort of interested in maybe exploring uh what the French team had to say and uh we then sort of went back again and then did the same process with the French team which again was a little bit more challenging because not all of the players speak English so it was a mixture of research calls with all of them, either in English or or French. We had some support there to find out what their stories were. But we found that uh, as soon as we got to know the French team better, it was always going to um, 
make the documentary so much better because their stories were, if not more powerful than England's team. And we could put more eggs in our baskets having following the world champions and obviously England who were hoping to to beat them. So it sort of made perfect sense and was one of the best decisions, I think, for the documentary. You know, it really made it having both uh, teams on board. Definitely. That rivalry really pushes the documentary along. So, Nick, when did you become involved with the production? So I joined um, just before the World Cup. So I went on, um, I just had a quick chance to meet the England team. And then I was also able to go on uh, the last um, French sort of selection meet. So, um, but I was kind of thrown in on that but with some good notes and what have you. And um, uh, I really, I saw both teams beforehand and they, they were massively different. They were, one, one team was older than the other. They, they seemed to, like, in terms of the financial support they had, it was really different. Like, the French didn't have as much money around them as the English did. You had those facilities. And you could immediately see that there were two different cultures at play. And that was just really appealing immediately to us, I think. We didn't quite realise the depth of the animosity at first. And partly because we could communicate brilliantly with the French team always. We were using translators. And it was only really when we were in Edit, I suppose in Edit, or actually when we were in the World Cup itself, that we realised that these were two teams that were really going at each other. And, you know, it's just what you want in a documentary, isn't it? You want, you want to, I mean, to have got the, the two teams that ultimately contest the final was one thing. And then to find out that there was kind of beef between the two sides, uh, all of it just makes it um, a better way of exploring sport. I suppose I like to think it like that. It, it, it's not as so much as you're going through the conflict. It's more that the conflict tells you a lot about what's actually happening around you. So it's not just conflict for conflict's sake, but it, it got quite spicy during the World Cup and um, it was really interesting to us. And it was also something that we knew that if we would then get to go on and do master interviews, that we could kind of bring up to the fore a lot more. So, um, yeah, it was very much a case during the World Cup of holding on tight and seeing where it went um, and making sure that we hadn't missed anything. Yes, and we'll get back to that conflict in a minute. But first, what was it like working with talent that hasn't mostly got so much experience with the media? I personally prefer prefer it. You know, if you've never dealt with the media before, it's always nice to to get someone that it's, you know, it's complete novelty that you're asking them these questions. And to be honest, every person in the film that's sort of heavily featured, the situation's different. Um, Zimbo, for instance, you know, his story is kind of quite well known. He's told it a lot. And um because of that, it had its own challenges because he knew what he was going to say when he was talking about um, what happened in Afghanistan, which is, you know, when he lost his legs. And it was very, you know, second nature. There was no like emotion there. And it clearly wasn't like an emotional thing for him to talk about in an interview because he had done so, so many times. Um, so obviously that was, uh, I guess, a little bit more challenging if you wanted to have that emotion there. But, you know, Nick sort of did that master interview with James and brought out a lot of like really good emotion and Funnily enough for him specifically, because we knew him so well after, you know, two years, we knew that the event itself wouldn't have the emotional impact, but it was more to do with, you know, his team spirit and what it meant playing for his country and his team that really sort of got him talking. And then sort of, you know, Wayne and Seb were a little bit different when we filmed the scenes of them in the film where they're speaking to their loved ones about what happened to them. It's quite an unnatural thing for some people to be put in that setting. So, you know, you're not used to having to confront your fears or your, you know, things that happened to your daughter or your mum in, you know, in the same way. So it was nice because you can only really do that once in the film. The first time you sort of broach that 
with someone, you're going to get that, you know, uh, you know, the emotional impact that you're looking for. And, you know, a lot of people aren't used to being in that settings. I know I, for one, certainly wouldn't want to and would be very emotional having to have a one-on-one conversation with anyone like that. It was slightly different for me because I, um, we were kind of just thrown in on the World Cup. So I didn't have lots of time with them before. So I was lucky in that stuff was just playing out in front of me. So you get to read people interacting rather than having to go into someone's lounge. It was very much played out. We had loads of support from the organising bodies and they made life really easy for us to kind of move in and, and spend time with the team. So we were really welcomed and able just to listen. And then I think you start to see characters come out. But there's, there's, you sometimes people have told these stories a lot about trauma. So you just, I think we just had to be careful how we approach that because often it was something that as a viewer you're just going to want to engage with and yet it's not something that's always articulated um and I suppose we always knew we had masters master interviews for that a lot of the time but it's nice working with people who haven't done loads before because they want to talk to you and they haven't got a version and also it's easy to get them on the phone and get them to do things (laughs) so whenever I've done stuff with famous people who are all obviously really lovely to work with. Um, sometimes they kind of just have stronger, you know, they've got opinions on how things are going to be done and it can be quite tricky and it doesn't feel like a normal human interaction, but I've got to say with all of the wheelchair rugby players, we didn't have that. They were lovely, they were nice people and um, they genuinely wanted to tell us what their experiences were like. Definitely helpful for a documentary. Back to the conflict we mentioned before, how did you manage to keep both sides engaging with you and trusting you despite the rivalry and even dislike from some people? For example, on the French side, you could see how they might think these are English documentary makers, you spoke to the English first and so on. It's trust, Max, and relationship building. Um, Even though they were two rivals, both teams had a lot of respect for each other. And the two managers who are both in the film, Martin and Robert, they both got the film and understood what we were trying to say. We, you know, we laid out what we were looking for straight away. This wasn't just a let's celebrate, you know, you're going to win. We want to show the ups and the downs and we want to show the rivalry. We want to show the intensity of that. So we need to be there for the moments that are difficult and we need to be there for the moments that are hard. So as soon as we made sure we laid that out straight away, you know, there wasn't you know, too much difficulty. Obviously, it was a trust building exercise. You know, I remember filming with the uh, French team. I think Nick actually did the shoot in France. And, uh, you know, if they started talking tactics, it would be be a little bit right. You need to get out there. But obviously, you know, we said very clearly that, you know, we're professional. We're not picking sides. We're here to document, not to get involved. And then we had a little bit of a plan. Well, a big plan, really, for the World Cup and how we would tackle that with separate crews. But I, I'll let Nick take over. Yeah, it's always really tricky because I, I always have a terrible sense of guilt if I'm with one team and not the other, that the other's going to they're going to think I'm some sort of spy in the camp. I've had it. You know, when you've like got bosses and workers that have done documentaries like that, and you always think that people are more suspicious than they are but yeah so we split up during the world cup and i was with england and emma was with the french and we started off that way but then we kind of just it kind of merged in after a bit but it was definitely a conscious decision to say look don't worry they're with these and then they're with those i think it's probably more of a thing for us than it was for them they seemed pretty cool about it as soon as they knew us they kind of seemed fine and the other thing um my knowledge of rugby is absolutely non-existent, so I had no idea at all. So we had a filming session with the French, and they were doing tactics, and they asked us to leave, but 
I just had no idea what was happening. I had, you know, my knowledge of the game. I don't know what yours is like, Emma, but how it was. Yeah, similar, Nick. I mean, very general, <laughs> not specific. So I guess they weren't worried too much on that front, which was good. But we sort of just had those things in place, you know, with them at the World Cup. And we were quite careful to make sure, you know, once I was with France, I was with France. You know, I wasn't going to be chatting to the English guys that much. I think it probably rubbed each other up the wrong way a little bit. But, you know, it worked out and they were really sort of trusting of both both crews. So we, we got lucky that way. You both mentioned just then you're not huge rugby fans. So does that help with opening the dock up to people who don't just want to watch rugby? Yeah, I think so. I think with, it's always painful, isn't it, when you explain stuff too much. But I think it's such a sport that people aren't familiar with. Once you've overcome the fact that it's similar to rugby, but a bit different, you really want to put a lot of the technical stuff to one side. It just doesn't... Whenever we had, like, briefings, because the temptation is always to use briefings, and you just... It's impossible to follow, really. Uh, but we, we were very keen, obviously, early on, that you get an idea of what, loosely, what the rules are, but more who is and isn't eligible. So there's a lot of that kind of information without a voiceover. It's quite tricky. You're trying to find shorthands to explain things. But at the same time, thinking, how much do you really need to know? You know, um, you should be able to tell from the emotion what's actually happening. I think as well, Max, it depends on what sort of film you're wanting to make. I think, you know, me and Nick wanted it to be a film for everyone that was, you know, transcended sport. It was about disability. It was about relationships, about rivalry. So the sporting element, although it was important, was explained right. It was never why the film was commissioned and why what the film we wanted to make was. So, yeah, I guess it wasn't as sort of essential and it was more about the people. And stops it from becoming just a retelling of the tournament. Back to balancing the two teams, though. How did you make sure that both sides of the story were given an equal showing? I found that um, that the French were much more keen to articulate their sort of version of the game and their idea of culture. So they would often, because I think because they were in, they were playing away from home, I think they felt they needed to kind of represent themselves. And they were kind of slightly overwhelmed by how amazing the tournament was. It was so well organised. It was almost as if, they were the world champions and yet they were going to a country that seemed to appreciate the sport more because of the BBC reaction. Suddenly it was a really big thing. So I think they were really looking at what the sport was. I think we caught them at a moment when they were really at, really kind of analysing it and really working out what their role was in it. Whereas the English were really just really focused on winning. You know, they had a real kind of culture around supporting them and, you know, the players were getting nutritional advice and, it was it was like it was a very English approach to sport in that they really taking it really seriously. So um, the French were articulating things a lot, so that was easy. The tricky thing was that the English were not weren't talking about those things in quite the same way, and also it was evolving quite quickly. So there were kind of nuances to the argument sometimes, and that was quite hard. One of the real things was that people. They seem to want to introduce this idea of levels of disability and how many people could play. And yet some of the English players that had the greatest levels of disability were really keen to not have this classification. So it was quite nuanced, the arguments, and it was it's quite hard, it's quite hard to get around. So that was a real challenge in sit-downs and using cards because you haven't got voiceover to sort of also commentary is really useful in that way to try to explain exactly what the issues were. Um, and yet still have the emotion in there as well, if you know what I mean. So it doesn't become a dry exercise. So that yeah, we worked really hard at that. That was hard. And 
debates about how you start the film and what camp you start with and then how you hand over to the other camp and then what you use as a jumping off point to talk about those different views of the game. We were very lucky in that we got a really explosive few press conferences, but we also got a moment where the manager of the French team, Robert, was really not happy with the way the pitch had been laid out for a game and he was expressing this and we had a radio on him at the time. And the, the good thing about that was that actually it felt like it was a frustration about so much more than just the way the physical pitch was. It felt like a kind of culmination of all his kind of feelings about what was happening with this English hosted World Cup. And so it was finding little bits like that that enabled you to have not drier conversations about who owned the game, but you were looking all the time for little bits that were jumping off points. I think the comment that Nick also made about, you know, just structuring the film and keeping that balance was was key as well. I think, we, you know, we did. We were very thoughtful about if England were going to say something contentious or France, we didn't we sort of had a rebuttal, I guess. And it would feel balanced throughout that, um, which I think was important. Just it didn't feel one sided. And with the actual argument in itself, you know, pro disability or pro inclusivity, I think Nick and I both will we don't know what the answer is and we both quite like that and we didn't want anyone to watch the film and come away with we have the answer or the resolution it's just that these are really important points that are raised in the film in different ways throughout take it's a bigger question take you know walk away from the film and, and think about what the answer is you know we still don't know what it is but uh you know getting that balance right and not being one-sided it's this or the other it, it was always it was never about that for us it was just about telling that story and then making sure the voices were heard throughout in the right way. And are those techniques something all productions with competing sides, viewpoints, etc., could use? I, I, it was nice the way we were able to find. I mean, luckily the two teams were close, so you had ways that you could. So we had a an English player who lived in France and knew the French players, and that made our life so much easier. In that you could you could put them together a lot more. You know, you didn't feel totally separate, and I think that's quite hard if you've got two things in absolute isolation and yet they kind of battle. But if they do it on the pitch, they never really come together. Do you know what I mean? So that was that was useful that they did. We found other ways of making their connections clear. Um, because if they hadn't, we never had a moment really when they came together in a way that would have worked in TV terms, you know, in that they would have addressed the issues. You know, you may have seen them at the drinks thing, but you wouldn't really have got a sense of their interaction. So we were really lucky that um, the captain of the French team, uh, Gilles, um, met the golden, eventual golden boot winner, Seb, and they had a relationship that sort of transcended the nationalities. And that was really useful for us, I think, because these rivalries are fierce, but there's an enormous sense of camaraderie. And uh, in some ways, the players are are closer than the management and organisations, I think it's fair to say. So it was nice to bring those that aspect together when you can see the two players together. A bit more generally, a lot of docs are focused on big personalities or large events at the moment, like Beckham on Netflix or Try to Survive. So how important is it these docs about lesser known subjects continue and how do you sell them to audiences? I think for me, it's, you know, the heart of documentary making is trying to tell those untold stories or the stories of people's whose voices you don't hear as often. You know, that's sort of where I guess most traditional documentary sort of was rooted to is, is getting those unknown sort of faces on TV. 
And I guess with it being more character driven as well with the England team and the French team, we had such big personalities. It didn't really matter that they were famous or not because they carried their stories and, you know, so well. And it, it was so engaging, which was a big celebration, I guess, of the film and why it was successful. I suppose we were lucky in the fact that England won. <laughs> So well done again. And, you know, the World Cup, you know, it, you know, tying it to an event like the World Cup, you know, did help get it, you know, in, on the public agenda and, you know, more high profile. But, um, you know, it's so important to keep trying to tell stories that don't include big names. And uh, there's more to do with the, the sort of storytelling, really. I think it, I think it is really tricky, isn't it? There is so much sport out there. I remember sort of about sort of six or seven years ago being at the BBC, you know, doing stuff with the BBC. And people just had no appetite for sport at all. It was considered to be so niche. And now, where we are now, it's, that's inconceivable because I, I, I had a moment last year, I think I got phone calls about sort of following three different premierships teams, you know, from different places. Um, and, and that was inconceivable, you know, just a short time before. And I suppose the challenge now is that you want to make programmes like this and hit sports like this but there is a real a preoccupation with being with really big names and being with really big teams. And that sometimes then you're not really asking actually what's happening and have we got a story? You know, in the past, you always used to have sports docs because there was a really good story or there was a reason to have the access um, or you could say something amazing. But now you know with the with the streamers there's a sort of sense that everyone wants to have their dog um and some of them are brilliant and i think the beckham one is amazing but at the same time there is an awful lot out there and it is hard for sports like you know wheelchair rugby league to sort of punch through so it was great to be able to do something like this it, it felt really like a throwback you know it felt like we were making something that you used to see sort of 10 15 years ago and it would be nice to think that you could still make dogs like in, in what is a very crowded thanks for listening to the broadcast sport podcast you can find more of our content at broadcastnow.co.uk slash broadcast sport meanwhile make sure to subscribe and we'll see you for the next one